Well, it's good to see you again. Uh, I have been out, I was out last week. I've actually been traveling quite a bit this last month. I'm kind of settling back in after a busy month of travel. Uh, A while back, a few uh, weeks ago, I was able to visit a church plant in Brunswick, Georgia, I told you about. It's called Union City, who are doing some awesome things in their city, in their particular context, when it comes to racial reconciliation and just an amazing uh, display of the gospel weaving through that town. Got to spend a really encouraging time out there with them. Last week, we were actually in Vermont uh, visiting Molly's family. We spend a week in Vermont each year. Uh, So we literally drive up a mountain and spend a week uh, hanging out with the cousins. And so we were able to get some time away last week. But probably maybe my most impactful time uh, during this last month was visiting my friend Andy out in Boston, Massachusetts. Andy is planning a church. They're about three or four years into the church. And I've I've talked about Andy before in the past. Uh, He and his wife Kate, uh, in 2017, right as they were planting their church, They found out that their oldest daughter, Ellie, was diagnosed with stage 4 neuroblastoma cancer. And while planting the church, this family has gone through incredible hardship, pain, and suffering. And while they prayed for her healing last February at the age of 9, Ellie went home to be with Jesus. And this experience forged a unique identity in their family, and therefore in their church. Right as this new church was forming and becoming and discovering what it is they were going to be, their identity as a church, their family, and therefore their congregation walked this journey with them. And so out of that, one of the values of this church, it's called Fireside Church, one of the values of their church is joy in suffering. It's literally on their website. Not usually the, the, the most, uh, uh, you know, way that most of the time you'd think, we're going to plan a church and we're going to lead with joy and suffering, right? That doesn't usually uh, tend to be the way that you think that it would attract a lot of people. And yet, this has resonated with people. Th- their church is growing at an incredible rate because there's something about that that resonates with the people that they are connecting with. The community is growing, and together they're asking the question, what does it mean to suffer well? What does it mean to suffer well? Because suffering comes when we experience loss. And loss brings suffering no matter where you are in life, no matter the age, and no matter the degree. We recognize that not all suffering is created evil, and there's uh, uh, evenly, and that there's different degrees of suffering, and yet all of us walk through that. And so this church, these, the people that come, they resonate with this reality and are asking the question, in our world of pain and suffering, what does it look like to suffer well? As we said, we're starting a sermon series in Lamentations, and you might be thinking, how fun! You know, a nice light summer sermon series. This is going to be, this is going to be great in between our vacations and things like that. We'll come, home, come back to lament. This is going to be, this is going to be great. And yet, we believe that this topic at this time is vitally needed and important. That we didn't want any more time to go by before addressing this. Because when you think through the last two years of our existence, 
two years in our world, we've experienced a lot of loss, and we didn't want another second to go by without addressing it, dealing with it, looking at it from a biblical perspective. Some of us have lost loved ones, jobs, friendships, health. Some of us have lost experiences. Two years ago, if you remember, on Thanksgiving, I wrote an article in our Randall Life talking about the loss of experience on Thanksgiving Day when most of us had to stay home instead of be with loved ones. And what does that look like to lose an experience that means so much to a lot of us around the holidays? Some of us have lost familiarity. We, we find comfort in, in our rhythms and our routines, and we're beginning to realize that not everything is going to go back the way it used to be. And we have to deal with that. That for the longest time we said, well, I just can't wait until this gets back to normal. And we're beginning to realize, I don't think it ever will. I think it's going to be like this forever. And we're beginning to grasp that reality. We need to grieve and process the things we have lost. We need to grieve and process the things that we've lost. We have not wanted to go another second without looking back on the last two years and saying, how do we approach this from a biblical standpoint? Because what the world does is the world teaches us pretty much two different ways of dealing and handling loss and suffering. The first thing we're taught is to flee from it, to numb it, to mask it, to medicate it, or here's one, to pray it away. How many, how many of our prayers, when we pray both uh, uh, individually and collectively, how many of our prayers are prayers of comfort, are prayers saying, God, please keep us from suffering. Please, please keep us, help us to avoid hard things. And yet sometimes the best thing for us is a hard thing. And so we avoid it all costs. And, and, and we can do that in our context, typically. And where we live and in our demographic, many of us, we can kind of just avoid it and mask it and numb it and get distracted by other things and just not a deal with the thing that's right in front of us. This is a, this is a tactic the world does to deal with suffering and loss. Or there's another way. And the, uh, the other way that we are taught is to overcome it, to overcome it on our own. Through positive thinking, we turn pain into charity events and donations and foundation, foundations and doing good stuff to kind of rewrite the narrative of the pain. Now, in and of itself, that's not bad, but on its own, it's a form of control. I'm going to control the situation by, by trying to overcome it, do something to, to offset the bad thing so that I can still kind of rewrite the story. I, I'm able to continue to write the narrative of my life myself. And so we're going to overcome it with a bunch of good things to counteract. And friends, neither of those things satisfy. Neither of those, both of those things put us in control of the situation. But the book of Lamentations invites us into a gospel response to loss. 
The book of Lamentations invites us into a gospel response to loss. Now, just a background here. The book of Lamentations is a collection of five poems from an unknown author who survived and is now reflecting on the destruction of Jerusalem and the subsequent 70-year exile that was to come. Just a quick recap for you. Israel was God's chosen people, established through Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12. Through Israel, God would reveal himself to the whole world. And so God enters into a covenant agreement with Israel that if they were to be faithful to him and to follow his law, he would bless them, and through the whole world, they would be blessed as well. Through Israel, the whole world would see the redemption that God was doing in the world as they were faithful to God and his law and displaying what, it's, what God is like to a watching world. God had promised Abraham the land. He had given David victory to make Jerusalem their capital city. God's presence was with them in the temple where the priests maintained Israel's worship. But for centuries, they had been violating this covenant by worshiping other gods, perpetuating injustice, and oppressing the poor. So after 500 years of patience, 500 years, God's justice finally came upon them. So in 587 BC, Babylon laid siege to Jerusalem and eventually destroyed it. The whole story, and, 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 and subsequently then brought them into the age of the exile, the 70 years of exile. Now the whole story is told in 2 Kings 25. I just want to pick out a few things for you just to get a, an understanding of the scope of what we're talking about, where, where this author of Lamentations is coming from when we hear his or her words. 2 Kings 25, let's just take a look at it. It says this, the famine in the city, because they, they laid siege to the city, nothing could go in or out, and so a famine hit the city. And the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. So severe that the couple verses later, they killed the sons of King Zedekiah before his eyes. So once they captured, once Babylon got in, they captured the king, killed his sons before him, and then they put out his eyes. They bound him with bronze shackles, and they took him to Babylon. Literally, the very last thing you will see, king of Jerusalem, is us killing your own children. I told you, not a great summer, CEO. It's not that. Yeah, that's, that's where we're at here. They set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. They carried into exile the people who remained in the city, along with the rest of the populace. They also took away the pots, the shovels, the wick trimmers, the dishes, and all the bronze articles used in the temple services. The bronze from the two pillars, the sea and the movable stands, which Solomon had made for the temple of the Lord, was more than could be weighed. And so Judah went into captivity away from the land. The fall of Jerusalem and the 70-year exile to follow was the most horrendous, catastrophic event in Israel's history up until this point. The loss of food and resources, the loss of life and children, the loss of homes and significant structures, the loss of freedom and identity, 
the loss of possession so great that it couldn't be calculated. They couldn't even put a number on it, how much Babylon took from them. Loss of land, in a sense, of place. Literally, their whole world collapsed around them. And so the book of Lamentations is a memorial to the pain and the confusion of the Israelites that followed this destruction. And it asks the question, what does it look like to respond and to suffer well? The book of Lamentations invites us into a gospel response to loss. Now, just as an overview of the book, that's all we're attempting here this morning, just as an overview of the book, each of the five poems in, in this collection, we see different elements of lament. We see these different ways and different aspects of what it means to lament well. What does it mean to have a gospel response to suffering? So we're going to look at uh, these uh, quickly. First and foremost, the Lamentations 1, it starts off, and we, we're met by a, a figure named Lady Zion. And what Lady Zion is showing us is, first and foremost, lament is a way to process our sin. Lament is a way to process our sin. It starts off with that, and I think that's appropriate. Lady Zion is a widow who personifies all of Israel. She's sort of this personification of Israel, so she sits alone. She's bereaved of her loved ones, devastated by God's judgment, and yet she recognizes that God's wrath is justified. She, she doesn't sit lamenting, blaming God. She sits reflective knowing, we deserve this. We deserve what we got. Here's just a couple of examples in Lamentations 1. Jerusalem has sinned greatly and so has become unclean. Her filthiness clung to her skirts. She did not consider her future. The Lord is righteous, yet I rebelled against his command. From the very beginning, we are told that lament starts with a recognition that the loss that we experience is our own doing. It's the sin that we have brought into the world that is the reason for the loss that we have. In fact, in the very beginning, all the way back in Genesis, we're told this. In Genesis 2, God warns, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. That's the result. Now that, but by God's mercy and by God's grace, he extends our life, but we die because of the sin that was introduced into the world that we continue to perpetuate today. So Lady Zion in, in, in Lamentations 1 is lamenting that we deserve what we get. That sin has entered the world. Our sin is the reason the world is the way it is. And so biblical lament is keenly aware of the collective sin, our collective sin, that got us into this mess. Biblical lament never says, I'm experienced loss, and that person or that thing or that God is responsible. B Biblical lament owns our responsibility, even if it's not direct. Right? Not, every, not every loss that we experience in the world is a direct 
uh, correlation. I did something wrong, and therefore God punishes me by taking something away. That's not how it works. We recognize that there is a collective sin. And although I might not be the direct result of that particular instance, my sin, in combination with everyone else, has created the atmosphere and the environment of this world in which loss and suffering and pain exist. And so when I lament, it doesn't come from a self-righteous standpoint. It doesn't come from a standpoint that says, you did it. If only that person hadn't done blank. If that group of people had, had only done this, had those officials only made that decision, then I wouldn't. Biblical lament always comes from a place that recognizes my culpability in it as well. Lament diffuses anger, blame, and self-righteousness. And lament asks for mercy and invites God into the loss. Oh God, look what we've done. Look what we've done. Lord, have mercy on us. And even though I might not be responsible directly for whatever happened, I I'm guilty. I'm guilty too. Lament recognizes the truth, and that truth, from that, it can set you free. From that posture, you are set free to invite God into the loss with you. So biblical lament always is a way of processing our sin. That's the, that's the opening. That's, the, that's the, the, the groundwork that we lay as we continue to move through. Now, in uh, Lamentations 2, we, we move on, though, because at the same time, even though lament is a way to process our own sin, it's also a way for us to process our own emotion. It actually makes room for that. Lament makes room for our present raw emotion. Chapter 2 is heavy and very emotional. Just take a look at a few examples here. In Lamentations 2, without pity, the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob. Without pity. God, you, you didn't give us one single kernel of pity. The Lord is like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. Or the Lord has rejected his altar and abandoned his sanctuary. The Lord has no pity. He's our enemy. He's a abandoned us. I remember when we were planning our church in Rochester and we were not, things were not going, things were not going too well. I remember one night in particular uh, where I was just really discouraged and I was, I was venting to Molly, my wife Molly, and I, I remember she was, she was trying to comfort me and she was trying to, you know, the Lord will, you know, let's keep praying. Let's, we have to trust the Lord. She was saying all the right things. I just didn't want to hear any of it, right? When, when you're in that state, right, you don't want to hear any of that. And I remember specifically, I remember I said to her, God is not for us. And I meant it. God is not for us. He has left us. We are on our own. He has no pity. He's our enemy. He's abandoned us. Have you ever had a night like that? That raw, guttural emotion. It's so raw, it's so accusative. And yet it's in the Bible. 
Think of that. God allows people to vent and question him in his own Bible. Because you've you got to remember this. God gets to choose what's in his Bible, right? Amen? God, get, God has chosen. He has ultimate authority over what gets in and what goes into the cutting block, right? God chooses what's in his own Bible. And yet, he includes all of the raw, all of the motion, all of the accusations against him. If it were you or I, we'd likely want to include only the good stuff, right? All the praise and the glory and the might. We'd cut out all the stuff that questioned our authority, and yet God doesn't edit us out. He doesn't cover us up. He doesn't whitewash our feelings. It's all part of an authentic relationship. God allows us to question him in his own Bible. Because he wants that authentic relationship with us. And so he affirms what we feel, even if we don't even believe it in the moment. Have you ever, have you ever had a, a moment where out of like sheer emotion, like you said something, and even as you're saying it, like you know you don't believe it, but you say it cause, just because it feels good to say. Right? Parents, have you been so frustrated with your children that you are saying something, you are yelling at them, and in the back of your mind you're going, I don't believe this, but you're just so mad it just feels good to say. Anyone else? Just me? Okay, cool. All right, just me. Lament gives a sacred dignity to human suffering. God's people are not asked to deny their emotions, but to vent their feelings and invite God into it. To, to have that authentic relationship with him. Let's move on. We're going to skip uh, chapter 3 uh, for a little bit. We'll come back to it, but Lamentations 4. In Lamentations 4, we find that lament is a way to long. It's a way to long. Lament is a way to process our sin. Lament is a way to process our emotions. And lament is a way to long. In Lamentations 4, the poem is this vivid contrast between how things used to be in Jerusalem and how terrible things had become. Children used to laugh and play, but now they beg for food. The wealthy used to eat lavish meals, but now they eat whatever they can find in the dirt. The royal leaders used to be full of splendor, but now they're famished and dirty and unrecognizable. And the underlying question behind all of it is, how long? Oh God, how long? In Lamentations 4 and verse 22, he says, he will not prolong your exile. It's this comfort. He won't, because all throughout the lament, uh, all throughout Lamentations and the lament psalms, there's a bunch of psalms that are, are lament psalms about this, and this question comes up again and again and again. Oh God, how long? How long will you allow the wicked to flourish? How long will you keep us in this state? How long will I have to sit in my loss? Lament invites us and gives us permission to long. In fact, in the last line of the book that we read at the beginning, why do you forsake us so long? How long is it gonna, how long is it gonna take Lament gives us permission to long 
to recognize the way that it was and the way it should be and actively ask God to hurry up. Oh, God, hurry up. How long are you going to do it? Lamentations 5. In Lamentations 5, we see that lament is also a way for us to protest. Lament is a way for us to process sin. Lament is a way for us to process emotion. Lament is a way to long. And lament is a way to protest. Laments have a way of drawing everybody's attention to the horrible things that are happening in the world that should not be tolerated. So chapter 5 offers a long list of different kinds of people who were devastated by the fall of the city. Not just from the author's perspective. The author is actually now protesting on behalf of everybody else that was affected and gives this list of all the ways everybody has been affected. It asks God not to forget these people and laments on their behalf, giving voice to their pain. I can't help but think of uh, what happened on Jefferson Avenue here in Buffalo, the shooting there in Jefferson Avenue. When, when I experienced that, we saw sort of the after, the response to it. You could very see the two ways that our world provides for the way that we lament or the way that we handle suffering and loss. For many of us, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. I just, it, that's, it's, so, it's too terrible to think about, and so we'll avoid it. Or there's been a large response in our city to overcome it. Lots of donations and charity and, and events and things like that. And again, all of that is good, but left on its own, it's just another form of control. It's just another control of me trying to affect the, the narration, try to, the, the story that's being told in my life. It helps me overcome it. But our first response, a biblical response of something like this, is to mourn and lament with more importantly, but with and for our brothers and sisters. To lament with them, to sit with them, to cry with them. And then out of this posture, out of this gospel posture, can come gospel response. Lament allows us, it's a way for us to protest before others and before God. How long? How long is this going to be? And then finally, right in the middle, as you can see on the screen, right in the middle of this book, lament is a way to hope. Right at the apex, right in the middle, is where we find hope. The poet reasons that if God is consistent enough to bring his justice on human evil, then he'll also be consistent with his covenant promise to not allow evil to have the final word. He says this, probably the most famous uh, passage in Lamentations. We don't know much about Lamentations, but we know right in the middle, we know this one. Because of the Lord's covenant faithfulness, we do not perish. His mercies never fail. They're new every morning. How great is your faithfulness. How great your faithfulness is, oh God. Right at the apex, right at the climax. 
we meant as a way to hope, to remember that the story isn't over. In the midst of all the questions and the longing and the protest and the, the raw emotion, in the middle of all of that in Lamentations is this passage. And isn't that what life is like? In the middle of all of it, we have this hope that is an anchor for our souls. That because of the Lord's covenant faithfulness, we will not perish. His mercies never fail. They're new every morning. So how great is your faithfulness, O God? It highlights God's faithfulness despite our own unfaithfulness. See, the book of Lamentation invites us into a gospel response to loss. Let's invite the band up as we finish up. I'll stop here because we'll have five weeks to dig into it. We'll have five weeks to dig deeper and think through all the applications and the responses, but I'll simply leave you with this. Whatever loss that you are currently experiencing, maybe uh, it's a difficult date on the calendar, a death, an anniversary, Mother's Day or Father's Day. And you know that date comes around every year. And you know a, a new wave of emotions will flood as we hit that date. What date is it for you? Or maybe it's the loss of an experience over the last few years. I know for our family, and my wife particularly, she's grieving the loss of our daughter Rudy's one year, uh, first year, her one-year-old year. That cute toddler where they're not a baby anymore, but they're not talking back anymore. You know, that perfect, like, year right in the middle. Oh, she was longing for that year. She couldn't wait for that year. And then COVID hit. And two kids stayed at home most of the year. And she had to school, actively school two kids. And Rudy quickly became something to put away and distract so I can accomplish and get, get done with my other two, what they need to for their school and their needs over here. And she looks back and she goes, I lost that year. I lost that whole year. She's grieving that. What did you miss out on over the last two years? Maybe it's a loss of potential, a relationship that isn't healing, a marriage that's out of alignment. What, what do you long for that doesn't seem like God's putting back together. Whatever it is, and again, we didn't want to waste one more second without talking about this, because it's in there for all of us. And if it's not recognized, if it's not owned, we run the risk of being like the world, where we numb it and mask it and medicate it and pray it away we try to overcome it and distract ourselves and do a bunch of things. And we, we never get to the root of the problem. We never have a gospel response to loss and to pain and to suffering. Don't miss out on everything the gospel offers you. Freedom in the midst of pain. Joy in the midst of pain. Hope right in the middle there. Right in the middle there of all the other stuff that's going on. Don't miss out on the gospel 
offerings. The Christian faith doesn't simply try to avoid suffering or overcome it. It won't satisfy. Lament shows us a God who entered into suffering himself, who took it upon himself ultimately on a cross and then invites us into him so that we might know the heart of God better. The gospel invites us into this biblical response for lament. And so at the end of Lamentations, as we read at the beginning, we'll read it again, it simply asks a question. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old, unless you've utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. And then it just leaves it there. No resolution, no answer, just a dot, dot, dot. Will you restore us, God? Or are you angry with us beyond measure? We're going to answer that question in the next five weeks. Let's pray. God, we have all experienced loss. Maybe for some of us it was heightened in these next two years, in these last two years. Or maybe it's a loss that's been going on for a really long time. And Lord, we've just never dealt with it. Or we've never dealt with it, Lord, in a gospel way, in a way that actually redeems and actually restores and actually sets us free and brings hope. So God, I I pray for us as, as we go into this series. Lord, help us be honest. Help us to do the work of identifying what it is that we need to walk with you through. Holy Spirit, will you open our eyes to this beautiful, challenging, gut-wrenching, hopeful process of lament so that we can know you both more. The one who knows what it's like to suffer for us. Lord, help us to answer that question of lamentations ask at the end. Lord, will you redeem us or are we on our own? Lord, help us to see and feel and know the hope that you bring through your word and through your gospel. We love you, Jesus.